This is a HeadGum Podcast. Universal FanCon is a brand new convention coming to the Baltimore Convention Center in April of 2018. FanCon will be a round-the-clock event featuring comics, cosplay, gaming, celebrity guests, music, and more with a focus on diversity and inclusion. Get your tickets now at UniversalFanCon.com because geek is universal. Hi, everyone. I'm teaming up with the website Rewire.News to explore the intersection of their work and mine on a brand new podcast called Get It Right. On Get It Right, we explore pop culture through the lens of justice, and particularly reproductive justice. I'll be talking to critics and creators about comics, movies, TV, music, anything is fair game. You can find it now on iTunes or Stitcher, Just search for Get It Right or Rewire. Give it a listen and drop us a review with any ideas for what you'd like to hear us cover. See you soon. Hey, this is Steph Rywell. Join me by Weekly at the Lemonade for all things nerdy and geeky, giving you all the sweet and sour notes from the nerd world, as well as my own special commentary to make this blend lemonade just right. Follow the Lemonade at Audio Boom SoundCloud, High being at the Points of Interest Network, and I'll see you guys soon. Hi everybody, this is Kari Payton and you're listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Keep listening. It's good. It's real, 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 real good. Hi, I'm Mika Burton. I work for Rooster Teeth and you're listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Hi, this is Karen Pittman. I play Inspector Priscilla Ridley on Marvel's Luke Cage and you are listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Hey, what up y'all? This is Jenny Ellis from HBO's Insecure and you are listening to the Black Girl Nerds podcast hey it's Samal Lathan and you are listening to the black girl nerd podcast yeah this is Lewis Tan from Marvel's Iron Fist um, this is black girl nerds you guys are amazing I love you guys to death check out the podcast check out the show let's get busy tuning in to episode 122 of the Black Girl Nerds podcast. My name is Jamie and I am your host. This episode is titled Ballers and Bright. Pretty simple. Our very first segment, we invite the cast of Ballers on HBO. Karan sits down on a one-on-one with actors Donovan Carter and Jasmine Simon 
Donovan plays Vernon, and Jasmine plays Julie. Ballers airs every Sunday night at 10 p.m. Eastern Time on HBO. In our second segment, over at San Diego Comic-Con, have the opportunity to record the panel press conference for the Netflix film Bright. This press conference featuring Netflix stars Will Smith, Joel Edgerton, Numi Rapace, Lucy Fry, Edgar Ramirez, as well as director David Ayer, talked to us about this film. The movie Bright is set in an alternate present day where humans, orcs, elves, and fairies have been coexisting since the beginning of time. The action thriller is directed by David Ayer, and it follows two cops from very different backgrounds. Ward is played by Will Smith, and Jacoby, who's an orc, is played by Joel Edgerton. Hope you enjoy episode 122 of the Black Girl Nerds podcast. Ballers and bright. Enjoy. Looking at the lives of former and current football players, this half-hour comedy series Ballers follows former superstar Spencer Strasmore, played by Dwayne The Rock Johnson, as he gets his life on track in retirement while mentoring other current and former players through the daily grind of the business of football. The following segment features actors Donovan Carter and Jasmine Simon. Hey guys, this is Karan with Black Girl Nerds. And what could only be described as wonder lit. HBO, the stars of Ballers, and Trap Karaoke took over Uptown in the Queen City of Charlotte. Black Girl Nerds was there, and I'm here to tell you no detail was left to chance. Hosted at the Fillmore in Uptown, Charlotteans cheered and sneered during the viewing of the premieres of both Insecure and Ballers. Coming up, I spoke with two of those stars. The gentle giant, Donovan Carter, who plays Vernon Littlefield, and Jasmine Simon, who plays Julie in the series. We talked about all things life, love, and what it means to be a baller. So tell me, Donovan, what's it like for you? You come from the world of sports. You were a star athlete in college, and now you're on this incredible show going into the third season. How's your life changed? It's definitely been different. Uh... People recognize me a little bit, stare at me sometimes when a picture. But it's been cool. It's been a blessing, man. God is good. I just, just happy people just watch the show and tune in and, and excited for the new season. Are you shy? Nah, not really. No, yeah, okay. Not really. Okay. I mean, I it take you know always for everybody it take you a minute to open up. But, mm-hmm. I mean, I got a pretty pretty own personality. I'm a people person. Yeah. So, so what do you do in your downtime? Downtime, um, workout. Sit, you know, I'm in LA, so sit in traffic a lot. <laughs> um, like to play dominoes, like to hang out with my friends, mm-hmm. just have fun. I'm all about just having fun, go to church, you know, just a pretty simple guy. So, when it comes to your personality versus your character, right. what is the thing that is the furthest thing apart from the two of you as far as your identity, who you are? I would say just to. Just kind of the mistakes Vern makes. I think for me, I kind of like to learn. I kind of like to learn my mistakes fast and learn from, or learn from other people's mistakes. Mm-hmm. But I think with him, he kind of has to go through things. You know, some people have to learn things the hard way. Mm-hmm. And Vern, he went them dudes. He got to go through things the hard way because he just don't know any better. At the end of the day, he didn't really have a lot of mentors growing up. Yeah. You know, him and Reggie, that came from the hood, and now they got all this money, all the success, and it just for everybody's different for people to handle. 
And, and it's, I mean, it just shows you how important it is to have the right people around you, you know, your, your circle. But, uh, but I mean, that's pretty much it. Everything else, I mean, I'm a young guy like Vern. Um, you know, I got, a, I got a good heart like Vern. You know, mm -hmm. you want to take care of people and help yeah. them out. You want to, you know, help your family out. Um, you know, you kind of always want to say yes, and sometimes you got to step back and think about, you know, work, think yeah. about yourself at the end of the day. So. Yeah. I think everybody has a Vern in their lives. Yeah. And um, I'm curious, when was the last time, when was the last lesson you had to learn the hard way? Um, I'm, learning, I'm learning every day, honestly. Yeah. I learn something every day. But, I mean, just right now, with, uh, with everything going on, with acting and all this stuff, excuse me, you just meet a lot of different people. So I kind of just... I just keep my circle small. Yeah. Can't let everybody in and just, you know, I'm just, I'm just cautious about that friend where not everybody's your friend out here. So. That's true. What's your favorite time of day? Favorite time of day? Um, man, all day, every day is my favorite time. I, I got to say the morning because mm -hmm. I always be, I'm always blessed to see another day. Mm -hmm. I got to say the morning. Favorite thing to eat? Favorite thing to eat. I like, I'm a, I'm a, I like Asian food. So I like Chinese food. I like sushi, so I'm big. I'm big uh, Asian cuisine guy. Okay, favorite yeah. pair of shoes. Favorite pair of shoes. Um, I like. I, I'm a Yeezy fan, so I like Yeezys. I like Jordans. That's okay, my, that's my favorites. Favorite sport. Football. Got it. Yeah. Got it. Favorite show. Favorite show. Ballers. Ballers. Of course. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure to meet you, Donovan. You too. <laughs> so there you go. All the well, It is such a pleasure to meet you. You Same, are so likewise. beautiful. Thank you. Thank you, girl. You're going to be best friends. I, girl, we can, we can do that. Do we can do that. Okay, so my real, my first question to you is, what is it like being a part of this boys club? You know what? It's, <laughs> it's weird and exciting. It's weird because you see behind a curtain that you don't normally get. They say stuff around me. They're burping and farting. I'm like, I'm a, hello, I'm a lady. <laughs> but they treat me like one of their own. I know all about their dating habits, their wives, their, you know, I know everything. But it's cool, you know, I feel like... This role has given me an opportunity to be in a very male-dominated field, mm -hmm. as in football. But she's such a strong woman that she can stand her ground in this world. I mean, she's breaking so many different stereotypes. When you hear football's player, football player's wife, you automatically think of something. And usually it's negative. Usually it is. You know, you think gold digger, you think wag, you think a whole lot of makeup to the gym. You know, you just think a, yes. lot, of, a lot of stuff that is the exception and not the rule. There's women that just love these guys and these guys play sports and shoot, they build a family and have lives just like everybody else. And I'm fortunate enough to kind of step in and, and show that. Well, your character's going through quite the transition with her own family. I know we have a lot to look forward to in this season, but what can you tell us about her? How does she transform through this season coming up? I think that the first two seasons, she definitely tried to help Charles get his stuff together. He was mm -hmm. leaving football and went to car salesman, then back to football. Then he was the assistant GM at the Dolphins with my fiance, Dulé Hill. Shout out to Dulé. Oh, what? Oh, yeah. Oh. I'm, enga I'm engaged to, okay, to Larry Seifert. I need to let you know. It's supposed to be on my other hand. My finger is swollen because of the heat. So I let, put it on my right hand. I'm, you guys know who I am. I'm the pimp, and I'm here to tell you that this is stunning. Thank it's you. It's as stunning as you. It's beautiful. Thank you. He did good. He did so he good. He did good. Girl. Yeah, he, he did. So Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank Hallelujah. you. Won't he do it? Won't he do it? Won't he will. He will. So, yes. Um, so you see him working with Larry Seaford in the front mm -hmm. office. And Julie's always there to kind of push him forward. And in season three, she kind of goes to work herself. And she reminds him. I mean, again, she's always there for Charles. Charles always needs her. But in this season, we see that. And she's a physician. She's a doctor. And she's no one doctor. ever really knew that. But this season, yeah. you'll see that. And she reminds him that she doesn't need help with her job. He's the one that always needs help with his. And she kind of 
you know, starts doing her own thing work-wise, which I'm very excited about because yeah. that's another aspect when you think football player's wife. You don't ever think that they go to work. And they do. They, they do. raise a family. She's a mother. She's a wife. And she's a doctor. What can you say to that dynamic between the wife who is brilliant and uh, accomplished and she marries someone like an athlete or a celebrity? What is your personal take on that dynamic? Someone who is powerful in their own right, but may not necessarily have the celebrity to go with it. When they link up to someone who is a part or in the public eye, do you think that's a difficult life? Do you think it's a challenge within the marriage? I feel like, I mean, I can speak to it personally because my fiance is a working actor. He's worked since he was 10 years old. A brilliant working actor, yes he is. Emmy nominated brilliant Mm -hmm. working actor. I mean, his plays and musicals have been nominated for Tonys. His shows have won several Emmys. So he's just phenomenal. And He's been in the game much longer than me. So a lot of times I go out and they'll be like, excuse me, uh, hey, Dulé. I mean, and I work, I'm on TV, but if you love the person, it doesn't matter. Like I am the person that will take all the photos. I am the person that takes all the photos when his fans come Mm -hmm. up to him. Oh my gosh, you're from Psych. I'm like, give me that, give me that phone. Let me take the picture because it's all about support. And when and when people, you know, recognize me, he does the same thing. It's really not about what the person does, about but who the person is. And I think that's the biggest misunderstanding about dating a celebrity or an athlete or anybody. It's like, who do you fall in love with? What they do is secondary. Because see, tomorrow, Dulé could say, "I'm done acting," and if I love him for the wrong reasons, then it's never going to work. But because I love him for the right reason, and Julie in the show loves Charles for the right reasons. Doesn't matter. Be a car salesman, be a stay-at-home dad, do whatever you have to do. But I love you, and that's all that matters. And I think, I mean, people should do a lot more of that. Now, Jasmine, you're a self-proclaimed black girl nerd, so tell me, what is your nerd behavior? Oh, my gosh. I snort when I laugh. I read science fiction novels. (laughs) Harry Potter is my favorite. I'm going to Comic-Con to geek out next week. I mean, I'm a... You got to come to Universal Fan Con. Invite me. Okay. sure will. Okay. You got my my info? Like, you know, I'm a a lip-sync a trap karaoke song, but I, I know musicals. I'm a nerd. I'm a nerd. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to meet you. Nice to meet you as well. The following segment is from the press conference Bright over at San Diego Comic Con. I'm just jolly. I'm not doing this. I'm an actor. Mm-hmm. I'm Lucy Fry. Yeah! I'm gonna go from here. Yes! Uh, great, let's start with Fred right here in the front row. Uh, I have a question for Will. What up, Fred? And Kim, you said something really beautiful about how this generation watches movies both on Netflix and in theaters. And I think that as much as there might be a knee-jerk reaction to something new, <laughs> there, there can also be a tendency for people to become so obsessed with something they abandoned it always. So how do you see watching movies on Netflix and in theaters evolving side by side? Yeah, well, I just, I, uh, uh, Edgar and I were talking about it earlier, and, you know, I have a, a 16-year-old, a 19-year-old, a 25-year-old at, at home. So uh, their, their viewing habits are uh, almost anthropological, you know? It's a great study to be able to see how they still go to the movies on Friday and Saturday night, and they watch Netflix all week. 
you know, so it's two completely different experiences. But it, it's definitely a different experience. It's a, you know, I don't think anyone's trying to say that it's an identical experience. I was, I was talking earlier, um, I was on the, the, the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, so people would see me on the street, and it was like, well, well, well. And then Independence Day came out. And that Monday after Independence Day came out was the first time that anybody referred to me as Mr. Smith, right? <laughs> so there's definitely something about that big screen that, that penetrates people in a very different kind of way. Uh, but it, it, it's a, a different medium that I think net-net uh, See, net, net. See what I'm saying? That's almost like a pun, right? It's, but, but not, but not, but not, right? Like net. Neighborhood. Neighborhood. The neighborhood's like punch. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> Just the one. But, but it's also like um, Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> no, it's, it's my son um, invites his friends over and they watch films like on a projector on the wall, Netflix. He watches Netflix songs every day. But there was like a friend of his that didn't, they, that didn't have money to go to the cinema and he was like, oh, look, we're going to watch a Netflix film instead. And he invited all his friends and then not everyone can see it together. So it's like, as you said, it opens up opportunities, but um, it's not the same. Yeah, no, it's, it's very different. I'm sure it was the same kind of vibe um, when the transition happened from theater acting where you went to go see a play and then someone decided they were going to film it and put it together and move it to uh, a movie theater. You know, I'm sure that the you know the purists had that same kind of feeling, but it's it's different. It's it's not the same thing. It's, it's something different. It's a new, uh, almost a new art form. I mean, for me, it's pretty simple. This this movie, I got to make in, in a way that a level that otherwise I may not have been able to make. And this was shot on the Lexus 65, which is state of the art large format camera, and we shoot in the Star Wars with these cameras. It was shot with, you know, you know, the Lawrence of Arabia lenses, you know, cinescope lenses, this beautiful old school glass. Uh, everything technological about this is as if we've done a major feature. For me, the only real difference is just there's a lot more freedom and creativity. And, and it's less about how we're going to see this and more about, like, just having another cool place as a filmmaker to go make movies. Uh, we have a question right here. Question for a finding the book in the story. The story is a real world. The story to some extent is very fantastical elements. Where, where, does the, where do the real and the fantasy sit in relation to each other timely? And where does this fall on our side of the line of how you navigate the line of playing, playing in an environment that obviously plays with some very fantastical story uh, It was very interesting. Uh, there's, there's a lot of sort of movies that deal with fantasy or, 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 or mashup of reality and fantasy, a lot of them deal with uh, like uh, an alien invasion in the sense that the, the world of the film is like there's been a sudden change. And, and what's interesting about this, and, and I reference District 9 because it was a film where there was a, a, a different kind of dynamic of society that had settled well before the movie first frame of the movie. And that there's something about this movie that it is akin to that. It's like, all right, it's, it's, it's real world <clears throat> LA, and you imagine that extends to the rest of the world too, and then all the characters of, or a lot of the characters of the Lord of the Rings, or the types of characters, the elves, the orcs, uh, they're all living in society, and society is settled just so, and it, it's settled with a lot of cracks, and 
the tectonic plates haven't quite worked themselves out. There's a lot of racism, there's a lot of issues, uh, society isn't exactly perfect. And the orcs fall because they were the servants of the Dark Lord 2,000 years ago. They're still paying for that. And I'm the first orc that's been allowed into the LAPD under a diversity program. And I'm, I'm really paying for that. And the elves dominate the orcs. Like they're slaves, they're supposed to work for us, and then they break. Yeah. The elves are like not all elves. The elves are like the hills. The elves are like the one percent of And what's interesting is leading into it, playing an, an orc, I was like, all oh, right, I'm going to look like this sort of beast. I should play it in some sort of animalistic way. And then reading the script that, that uh, Matt's had, had written and David had tricked up as well is that he desperately wanted to be a human being. Spent his whole life going to human school, cut his teeth so that he could look more human, and 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 it was studying what it was like to be a human being. So I thought I was going in this direction to play some animalistic version of, of an animal, and instead I looked like an animal, and I was desperately trying to be the most conservative human being that I could be. It was a great challenge. No, no, it's hate. <laughs> I, I think what the, the actors are talking about, which is, speaks to a larger commitment to the movie, you know, for authenticity. This is a drama that happens to be set in a world where there is a, you know, a huge difference, but it is our world. If you feel like our world, what they did to Great Bang, went to Great Bang, and make it look like our world, and we shot in Los Angeles, always at night, it's difficult, very difficult. Yeah. Um, fun. I'm sorry, the, the idea, it, it was spectacular for me as a, an African-American playing a police officer that was racist against the first orc on the force. It's like the flip of, of those social concepts. And, you know, it's like, you know, as a, as a black dude, you just don't get a, a, a lot of movies where you're the racist, you know? Right. <laughs> and it was really, it was great. Hey man, I'm a real orc in my car, you know? <laughs> you just never get to see that. David, you said that you might not have been able to get this movie made at a studio. Walk me through what the alternate version, the alternate universe version of Bright might have looked like. Had you done that, would it have had to be compromised when it comes to budget? There's some creative things that you could have only done at Netflix. Objection, Your Honor. I'm not going to have my client answer that question. I'll allow it. <laughs> Look, it's hard to quantify because I think every movie is a journey. The movie always takes the form it's going to take ultimately, you know. So it's a little hard to speak for uh, what would could have been. Um, I can't say that this is a movie that should have been. You know, I got all the resources in mean, I got to shoot in Los Angeles. We weren't chasing a rebate. We weren't shooting in Atlanta for Los Angeles. Um, we got, you know, the equipment. We were able to shoot um, you know, practical uh, stunts, you know, ridiculously complex shots. Uh, it is a filmmaker to spend more time working on the creative than working on the spreadsheet that supports the film. 
is, is, is a true pleasure. And I think that should be tight with the movie and energy and also changes you know, how, how the cap comes in the movie. Because they feel that like radiant. Uh, yeah, radiant is for sure. Yeah, and this is a radar movie and it would have been devastating. Yeah. A lot of old community. Yeah. Once you go work, you never go back. You said this applies by the freedom you have with Netflix. Would you say you don't have the same freedom with the other studios? No, but it's just, it's just in, in this case, I just had you know, a real sense that I was making something different, something special. I, mean, I, got, I got to make the movie I wanted to make. And, and it's, just, it's nice to be as a queer person in a trusted environment. So, I mean, Bright really is, you know, I think, a unique film that's such a specific voice and it's such a new thing, and yet it's done on such a large scale. Um, you know, I think people are really surprised to see a film of this magnitude in this format. I think I think what the major difference is is the the Netflix business model is different in a way when it, because it's subscription based. What what gets created is that their risk profile is different. So Netflix can make a hard rated R film for $170 million, right? So studios can't do that if the executive wants to be at work on Monday. Like, you know, they, they can't make the risk profile if they're going to spend $170 million. No, I'm not saying that, but this one was. No, that number, the number was just in my head. I'm just, I think I'm suggesting the next movie. Um, <laughs> You know, when you make a movie that expensive, you have to broaden the audience, which means that you, you have to be PG-13, right? So it, it, it is a huge decision where you make a, a film of that magnitude based on the, the, the risk profile. So at Netflix, based on the, 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 the subscription, they can make anything for any number that they feel like their fan, that they're, you know, base is going to want, want to see. So as an artist, it's free in that way. It's just a lot of little ways that you get to be creative that get slightly just confined when everybody's jobs are on the line for the success. Like that's, that's the middle hand as well. It feels like Netflix says yes. There's a yes, and then you are you can create in that space to create in that question. And because they work off of specific data, they know ahead of time with the director of, of Suicide Squad and with me at this point in my career, and they, you know, they go through and they have numbers on everybody. They add the numbers up and they say, yes, it works. They go and they know who's going to buy the movie even before you shoot it, right? So it's a completely different basis of how they work that the trickle down is that between action and cut, we get to do whatever we want. Uh, question over here. Yes, uh, my question is for Mr. Ayer. You've been in Los Angeles a few times on film. I was wondering, were there any parts of the city you finally got to explore? And was there anything you wanted to say about LA? It's interesting because the last time I shot in LA, um, it was eight years ago, sorry to say, but the city has changed so much 
uh, it, it's absolutely transformed. And, and you take like the warehouse system downtown, which used to be where you shoot luggage, machines, and, and what have you, is now a very high-end arts loft Um Even Skid Row's developing. Uh, even you know the classics, you know South LA neighborhoods have evolved because there's been so much investment and so much development. So the old LA is really disappearing. I joke with the uh, production designers. I was still actually going to become a, a you know architectural reference of the city because there were locations where we were shooting as we're shooting, they're pulling buildings down, they're pulling things down around our location. And we're like, hey, okay, we'll shoot this scene up for that building spot. So it, it's as you know, LA is my city, I love LA. It, it's I'm starting to have to rethink what what is my city, what does it look like. Uh, do any of the actors want to talk about that, the experience of kind of working in David Ayer's Los Angeles? Yeah, I mean, for me, being from Australia, it was kind of the first time that I explored LA and downtown LA, and it was so exciting because it was like at night time, and we did night shoots the whole way through, and it would be like all the magical creatures would kind of come out of the alleyways, and then there would be like lizard people going through the garbage bins with like these big heads and like these sort of cloaks and it kind of turned downtown LA into this magical gritty world and but also David is I don't know how we found find those locations. Like I've never <laughs> seen places like that. And um, it was just Who's arrested? Yeah. 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 <laughs> so he knows that he knows that yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 He knows his subject very well. He knows his world very well. And he, uh, if I may say, I think David, you cannot, as any great artist, escape from your obsessions. And, and clearly, that's the world that he knows very well. So, when I first heard about David wanting to, to tell a story that was based in Dantin LA and East LA, but in a parallel universe, in a world that was going to be unique, I knew this guy was going to pull it off because he knows that world very well. I grew yeah. up in Iceland, and uh, they believe in elves, and uh, fairies and all that. So it's kind of my world, but it's into your world. It's like, how can I make hard and hard? That's funny, I grew up in Iceland too. Where did you grow up at? I grew up in Iceland, and we believe in everything. So, and, 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 and David understands that world very well as well. You know, it's a big flow of Spanish. I, I told her in the panel that, that he used to direct me in Spanish, just to, you know, also make the others uncomfortable. And, and that's what they did. And it did. That we all absorb to, 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 to just pull something out of ourselves. And that's it's great. It's, like, it's a huge movie. It's, it's a big movie. It's a big action film. But honestly, the way we speak about it, it felt like we just did an indie movie. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know, in a movie that, that we go to festivals, and that's how we shot it. So it's a great, it's a great, uh, it's a great experiment. And I think that we thought Netflix, and as you said, the, the, the business model and also the the vision that they have, then they, when we would have been able to do it, it's great to witness of such a profound shift in culture. Like that. But we were like it, searching through the whole movie. It felt like we were we found the movie. Um, as we were going, like the way David works, he's like exploring things every day and like 
constantly open and, and finding solutions on the spot, which becomes very creative and very fun and playful, even it's this big, massive yeah. ship behind us. We it's have, very interesting. We have great scenes in, in Hamilton along the day. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you probably shouldn't do that so much from here. You give it a lot. You mentioned uh, The Fresh Prince, and a lot of people are comparing your look in this movie to when you pretended to be Ashley's dad. This guy, mustache, I hated that mustache. It was so bad. Also, also um, you posted a bunch of jumping video, and I don't know if you saw, but a lot of fans isolated like one moment where they said you didn't mind. You look like Uncle Phil, yeah. yeah. I wanted to know, um, yeah, if you knew about those, what do you think about fans making those connections even today? No, I love this. It is such a new world. Like, I'm, I released my, my first record in 86, you know, so I'm over 30 years in the, in the business. I've seen, you know, my, my first album, there were no CDs. Like, so it's, it wasn't until my second album that they came out with these hot new hits called CDs, you know. So that I'm seeing that transition of um, essentially the fans being more and more involved in the creative process, you know, in in, in terms of in terms of movie stardom, it's a it's a huge difference. It's like you you almost um, can't make new movie stars anymore, right? It's like, because there's a, there's a certain amount of uh, privacy and there was a certain amount of distance that you had from the audience and only on July 4th did you have, did you have access. So that amount of access created this bigger than life kind of thing. But in the shift into this new world, it's almost like a, a friendship. Like with, with the fans, the relationship is, you know, less like the time of Madonna, Michael Jackson, you know, when you could make, you know, the Tom Cruise, these gigantic figures, because you can't create that anymore. The shift is to we're best friends. And then that's like with the comments and with those pictures and all like, I, that. I love, um, trying to make that shift and make that transition into the, the, the new demands of the, 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 the fans in, the, in this business. Uh, question back here. I'm Mr. Well and David. So Christopher Nolan recently said that, um, that his film strategy was mindless, that he would refuse to work with them. wonder what your reaction is to that. Well, I think Mr. Nolan is a wonderful director and I would not anything that would keep me from being in his next movie. And I just, I don't like your attitude about this <laughs> Nolan.
to so much. And, and our discovery with the film with the audience is that they're is that they're very hungry to know more. What's the mythology? What's the history? How do these different races interplay with each other? What's the history of the orcs? So it, it's something that I think is eminently developable, and you know, I look forward to the opportunity. Developable is a good word. Two B's in there. Developable. I don't want to ignore your your question, no. But but no, I think I think that that um, you know there there are certain things that you you want to see on uh, a big screen. You know, it's like. I remember the Christmas that Avatar came out and our entire family, you know, rushed out on Christmas Day to go with the, the glasses and all of that, you know. So there's a there's an experience and you know, specifically the type of films that that uh, Chris makes, like you wanna you wanna see them in in that space. It's like the venue is a part of uh, the, the experience. Uh, question right here? Yeah, this question is for Will as well as David. So you had mentioned Will earlier that it was a bit giant for you playing a black officer that's sort of like, you know, depicting these racist attitudes towards work. Um, will we see any sort of like state sanctioned like violence that you see police officers um, doing right now in the current state of our uh, politics? Do you, will we see those kind of dynamics play between law enforcement and also the orcs and the supernatural. Uh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, they, you know, David, David uh, isn't, uh, let's say, he doesn't find a necessity to be delicate with those issues. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, but they're, they, you know, they're, they, this, this is, this is a, uh, uh, a film that is, is about enjoyment and, and entertainment and those, those uh, undercurrents and under, undertones of the film are you know, specifically for people to be able to think about it, not to make any judgment about it. It's like we're showing it, we're, dis we're displaying the look and the feel. And there's a, you know, there's a great scene um, where, where we're sitting with we're, we're, out, we're looking at a, a, the police are coming and something has happened with, a, with an orc and the police are trying to subdue the orc and my character is sitting specifically with, with Joel's character while the police are subduing the orc and I ask him, I say, I, I need to know, are you a cop first or an orc first? And the backdrop of the scene is the cops taking down this orc. So it's a really, it's, it's rugged and it's, you know, it's powerful, it was really bizarre for me to be on the other side of that. And we, you know, we did, we did ride-alongs with LAPD and with the sheriffs, and is, you know, as an African-American, it was really a, a different perspective for me to be in the back of the cars, riding around with police officers in Los Angeles in, in you know, predominantly, uh, Black and Hispanic neighborhoods, and seeing the complexities from the the other side. I mean, for me, it's it's a movie, and it's a great story. It's supposed to entertain. Uh, some, you know, there's people out there that think these minds are closed, and, and they don't want to hear or see certain things. And my hope is that through you know the allegories and you know, using these sort of metaphors about life that maybe somebody would be receptive or understand 
what's going on in somebody else's heart may open their eyes a little bit. And that's, I think, the best we can help. Uh, question back here. Um, actually, this is going to follow up on the question that was asked. Um, I mean, obviously, these issues are very relevant in the culture, and you know, kind of merging them with our is, is a great way to present it. But I think there's also a certain amount of delicate balance that has to be made between bringing awareness and putting that at the forefront, and then also still um, not having so much of it that it feels so heavy-handed right. that you distract from the audience. So what's the thought process, or was there even times throughout the film where you had to go back and say, okay, we need to take another look at this because this may not fly, or this may be too much, or this may be not enough? I think, I think every filmmaker needs a compass. You know, when I grew up, I grew up in South Africa. I saw violence on both sides. Uh, I mean, I lived it. Um, it, it, it it's still out there. Children are still being eaten. Um, you know, and there, there's people, you know, we only have one heart. How do you live in this world with two hearts? Where on one side, you know, you belong to everything you belong to, you have people that you belong to. If you want to join society, and how do you change your heart to join a society that doesn't want you to join? And, and I've seen all these things. And, and, but you it's, know, it's also like it feels like it feels like they, your view of the world is like it's not so black and white. Like what is good and what is bad, what is evil, what is bright, what is dark. You know, it feels like you have a very um, kind of open me, um, your your view on people and, and the world is very. Um, it's very wide and wise. And we were talking about like he's I'm I'm the villain and I you know, you can you can say that my actions are very um, cruel and, and violent, but in, in my in my head, in my heart, I'm doing something good. I wanna create a better space, a better a better world. And he's on the other side, he's a good elf, but not so good. So it's like everything is like we all have a lot of layers. <laughs> I'm very pointy. <laughs> no, but that's something, that's something like in, in all your films, it's like good and bad doesn't really exist. It's right. way more complicated. It's too extreme to be you know, true, to be bad. But it's, it's very complex and, and you know, it's issues of family and child rearing and, and substance abuse and, and, and family distance violence. <laughs> 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 King G is all over us now. <laughs> <laughs> We're complex, and, and but at the end of the day, like, we're all the same, you know? So, yeah. One day we can do something really fucking bad, and the next day we can do something good. Sorry. <laughs> uh, we have time for one last question right here. Um, I just basically do want to know, what is the one thing we should know about the work? And actually, there's one thing we should know about. The sexiest part. Can you do the look? <laughs> if you're willing to sit around and be patient and, and deal with three hours of makeup, I can give you the look. Uh, look, there's a couple of beautiful things about orcs. They, they, uh, you know, they don't understand sarcasm or irony or humour. They're very well. My orc is very honest. And also, uh, if you lie, I might not understand it in your inflection. But I'll smell it over. <laughs> that's what makes me qualified to be a cop. I can't, I can't take you into an interrogation room and be like, I didn't do it, I didn't do it. The cop like he's lying. I smell it over. Yeah. But I'm a great, lovely, honest person you can trust.
even though I've done it so pretty. <laughs> and in my own mind. <laughs> about being an elf? What's the one thing we should know? Oh, wow. One of my favorite things was when we were in rehearsals and we were sitting at the back of the dojo and Dave was, was kind of like talking us through what it was like to be an elf. And he was like, it's kind of like you're in a different state of mind. You're in a different realm to everyone else. And he was like, look at that sword. Like, what's that sword telling you? If the sword was talking to you right now, like, what's it saying? So it's like they're taking in the objects, like they see through things and into things and things that people can't normally see. But they're so wide awake, it's like they have like six, six senses like wide awake at the same time. So take in everything, they smell, the eyes that they hear, like they have everything. So they, you know, it's, it's hard to escape, it's hard to, to hide. We're looking, you know? we're looking at a never-ending trip. We couldn't we couldn't hear you couldn't see we have elf ears, contact lenses, teeth, high heels, a suit I couldn't do. Yeah. But from an old perspective, the elves are very attractive, very, very well dressed. Yes. Yeah. And they're the aspirational ones. They they're the ones living in Beverly Hills. Well, you know, better than that. Totally. I'm sorry. thing with elf ones. And it didn't work out, you know, but, you know, it's like, I'll never forget love. <laughs> thank you so much, everybody. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. The Black Girl Nerds Podcast is produced by Jamie Brodnack. Various episodes are edited by Jamie Brodnax, M.R. Daniel, and John Bauer. The opening theme song to our show is written and performed by Samus. Various instrumentals are performed by Samus, Sky Blue, and Shubzilla. You can find episodes of the Black Girl Nerds podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play Music, Stitcher, Spreaker, and Spotify. That was a HeadGum Podcast.